Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast and the Managing Director of B Squared. If you have just found the Sendcast, then welcome. The podcast is really, really simple. Lots of episodes helping everyone learn more about special educational needs and disability. And if you want, you can go back through over 170 episodes and go right back to the beginning. But in this episode, I am discussing dual and multiple exceptionality with one of my regular guests, Finton O'Regan. For those who don't know Finton, he has been a head teacher, lecturer for Leicester University, and now works as a training consultant for schools and school support systems. This Zencast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are here to help show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. We know they make progress and we can show it. And if you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, then we can help. If you want to know more, visit the B Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Now, let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing dual multiple exceptionality or DME. My guest is Finton O'Regan. Finton is one of our regulars and he is a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems, including social services, health, the police, foster carers. And before this, he has worked a number of organizations, including Nason, Institute of Education, Leicester University, the UK ADHD Network, and European ADHD Alliance. And before all of this, he was a head teacher of a specialist school supporting ADHD, ASD, and ODD. And he also works in the Acronym International Company as well. Once again, welcome to the show, Finton. Thank you very much, Dale, for inviting me. Whenever I hear all those acronyms, I think of Robin Williams in the field. Good morning, Vietnam. There's a whole thing about VIP and the IE. I love it. Anyway, back to podcasting. What is dual multiple exceptionality? Well, before I get there, let's talk about anachronisms. And I mean, it it can be confusing because, you know, there was a book I saw recently, which was an A to Z of uh, of SEN. And within, within the A's, there's about nine. I haven't got to the B's yet. So as you say, it can feel an acronym city or, or world we're in. And then we go to a new anachronism or, or to maybe an, definitely a new anachronism for many people, but not necessarily a new way of describing individuals. So DME officially is called dual and multiple exceptionality. The Americans have a version of this, which they call 2E, which is twice exceptional. To be honest with you, a little bit of what you just said initially, when I first came across this, this was a book that was sent to me by uh, Adam Bonison and uh, Denise Yates. I, I was somewhat skeptical, particularly when I saw the initial Venn diagram, which was essentially a Venn, a Venn diagram with someone with high ability, someone also with SEN, and, and, and the, the bit in the middle, the crossover between those two circles, was someone with DME. So I remember just thinking, I, someone's just made this up. But essentially, I've delved into it a lot more. And without a long story, I, I read the book and I thought, hmm, there is something here that, that I think I hadn't come across in terms of a term, but I have come across in, in certain individuals. And then I was asked to step in for a, a colleague of mine at a show who was doing a talk on it. So I became much more interested in, in researching, looking at the term and trying to understand it, which is what I'm going to try and help us do here today. 
Excellent. And it is, is it's as you learn about it all, it does make more and more sense. And there's probably more of these children around than we realize. And like everything, it's probably a, a scale of Venn diagram. So in the, in the book, if you show me the Venn, the Venn, there's a small overlap between the SEN and the high ability. But within that overlapping area, there's probably a complete scale of the level of impact of each area on them. Very, very much so. And, and I think uh, there are, we'll, we'll come to the fact there are four main types of DME that we recognise and, and the book outlines. And we'll, we'll discuss those in a minute. But just sort of, to sort of give a little bit of, I suppose, history to this, when I first came across this, I was, I, you know, I was reading about it and I thought, well, hang on a minute, this is just able, gifted and talented, sort of a, a reheated, more modern version of. And as we know, that's a term that was pre-established about 20 years ago. There was an awful lot of, lot, lot of initiatives. There was a lot of training. I think of, at that time, it was kind of one of the big terms that a lot of schools were, were involved with and in terms of moving into a, you know, a neurodivergent age. But it, that, that term, as you, as you probably know, then it kind of went to the ABLE, sort of got left and it went to G&T, which um, for Dale means gin and tonic, but for everyone else meant gifted and talented. And, and to a certain extent, that is still obviously around. Many schools still have a gifted cohort. Um, and so therefore, they've, they've recognised the need to it. I suppose where, where it may have floundered one was the fact that there wasn't necessarily a, a particular diagnostic assessment process to, to define what able and gifted and talented was. It was more of a, as opposed to a quantitative assessment, it was more of a qualitative assessment about how some people were different. I also believe that the, the term gifted was, was seen as somewhat elitist. And because of that, you know, that, the, the term itself, I think, floundered in, in, in the period. And obviously other things came up on the, on the rails that became more, more for what, what, what of a better word, more popular, talked about more in the media. And, and you know, we, we, we know so, so terms such as oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD, pathological demand, those sort of acronyms, if you like, came along and, and kind of pushed AGT or anything else out of the way. It's interesting. I remember the term gifted and talented when I was at school. And in my head, until reading about DME, there was no hint of SEN in any way within that. To me, it was those at the top of the class who are really excellent in this area who need to be pushed. And that, as a child, is how I interpreted it. And when I ever read anything, it's, again, it's how I interpret Anytime I read of Gifted and Talented, to me, it's the very top who need to be extended. Yeah, that was very much the case, wasn't it? You know, someone who does their maths quickly just gets more maths. You know, so say there was the other students are struggling to finish the questions and, you know, on a test, for example, this was the person that finishes the, the test, you know, halfway through the lesson. And because of that, we think, oh, well, we must give them more advanced stuff, maybe the next level up in order to, to keep them sort of to keep them motivated. And I suppose, you know, we, we do get these, the prodigy, you know, the people like the Ruth Lawrence or of her, of her generation, the people who are at, you know, 11 or 12 or 13, able to do the GCSE maths. And I think these were the people who we were talking were, were gifted and talented. So as you say, there was no hint of any issues with these individuals. These were high flyers. They were advanced kids. But as we all know, if you're very good at something, it doesn't necessarily mean you're good at 
everything. And what we have known is that some of those individuals, those young people who were who went to Oxford and Cambridge at sort of 16 or, or whatever, maybe socially they, they weren't as advanced as we thought they may be, even though they were gifted, if you like, in maths or some computer science stuff way above their age. So I think what we're doing here now is it's it does appear to me to be a much better way of of classifying, understanding and meeting the needs of 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 some people who do have an advanced level of skills but who might have a more who might have underlying issues that that will not have been picked up which is why I think it's really worth addressing this and talking about it and just to make the point really when we're talking of dual and multiple exceptionality or, or twice exceptional it's a bit like saying you've got a, you know at the bell curve at, at one end of the bell curve you've got someone who's exceptionally gifted in something like maths or, or, or some other language issue or or you know some other major skill but also they have an sen need at the other end of the spectrum which makes them exceptional in that way as well because they have you know they have some sen issues so they're exceptionally different if you like from other individuals of the same stage and age. So what we're talking about, we're talking about twice exceptional, is that people who are who are exceptionally different from their peers. And that can be both in a positive way in terms of how we see positivity, but can, there can also be a need there that is that is also very much misunderstood and, and needs to be supported. That's the thing. I think with gifted and talented, there was no hint at them needing support. You're pushing them. There was no support. Whereas what I like about it is dual multiple exceptionality is you're saying, yes, they are, but there's something lacking over here. There's something they need support with, which is the thing I think is really needed is, and I think I've said to you, Vincent, before about with Dungeons and Dragons, you kind of have, you, well, you have all the characters and you have all these points. Yeah. And what's happened with these dual and multiple is we went really full on on this score and oh, I don't need points for being social. I don't need points for that. I don't need it. I'm going to go for the intelligence and forget everything else. Whereas most people are going, actually, I need to be social. I need to, I'll put them both equal. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, or they might've gone for the, but it is, it's kind of, if one goes up, one goes, it's that sort of logic to me that for these really gifted, they're missing out somewhere else. I'm not saying everyone is, there are some very exceptional, but I think for most people, most situations is that gift is hiding something else. Very much so. And, and, as, as many listeners will know, Dale never misses an opportunity to mention Dungeons and Dragons whenever he can. I've never played it, <laughs> but it is that whole idea. Well, actually, I, know I played it once for about 20 minutes and got very bored. But that whole mm. idea of, of characters yeah. and it makes so much sense to me. No, it does. And I, th- I think that there are many of these kinds of activities, games that I think we, we can use and people do play uh, for very many different reasons. And I think the, the, the issue with this particular area though is that it's i think it's something that as i said what's been really useful to me in my understanding of the term and and in terms of the this the sort of journey i've been on understanding it is is what is what you just said is that you know is that we 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 do tend to feel that sometimes because you have all these points it means that you are good in in everything versus it's unusual for us to have and we know that very high functioning people usually are different now i suppose the real the real issue is is that because we have very established terms such as autism such as adhd 
And this was where my struggle was, is was you know, whether we, whether we have these terms, which are already very much established, do we need to muddy the waters, so to speak, by having yet another term, which, 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 and some where some of the traits are being covered, if you like, or 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 at least explained by these other terms. So that's that's really where I struggled initially with, but I have come to the point that there is room for, as you say, <laughs> another anacronym here and a term which I think DME is 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 a is a good way of explaining things. I think a good way of kind of saying DME, I think to me, does replace the term Asperger's. Oh, that's an interesting one. And that's 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 very interesting. Well, as as we know, Terms come and terms go. This is why I always say, I mean, I, I make this point. I was asked a question the other day because, as, as Dale will know, I've written quite a few books on ADHD. And, and someone said to me, does ADHD really exist? And I was thinking, I hope it does. I've written 10 books on the blooming thing. But, but what I said to the person, I said, look, right now, ADHD might be the best way of describing a group of symptoms or traits that can't be better explained by any other reason. If something else comes along in the future that will, that will do this, then, then, I will, then we'll look at that. And you are right that I do think that Asperger's, when Asperger's left the, the, left the room, so to speak, I do think that, that, that there was a gap, if you like, to explain individuals who did not fit quite into the, the autism sort of spec area and, and, and or the ADHD one. So I think that's actually a very, a very relevant point. I mean, if you're talking about anacronyms, of course, there is this combination terms, the AUDHD, which is, you know, which is talking about, you know, people who have both sets of traits. But that's for another conversation. Today we're, <laughs> we're moving back to, to DME. Okay, so DME, you said there are four types. So what are the four types? Yeah, I mean, essentially it, it's a description, basically. You've got type one, which is basically individuals with high learning potential, which is recognised, but their SEN is unrecognised. So this, for example, would be maybe individuals who are, you know, very verbally good in a classroom situation, who would seem as they are very competent. And it's just an example of someone who's very bright, but then, you know, they may have dyslexia. They may have some, you know, reading issues. So they're not able to put onto paper what, what they can say. They are the, the computer without the printer attached, so to speak. So to a certain extent, you know, they are, they are seemingly or, or they're coping or managing, if you like, because of their intelligence to sort of like to not, to not, not, just, to, not just to get by, but maybe to thrive. The second type where it's where you tend to have, the high learning potential unrecognized, but their SEN is recognized. So we're always really judging them on what they can't do versus what, what they can do. And so therefore there's somebody there who might be seemingly struggling, but might have a real talent in, in it. And when we're talking about being exceptional, we're always talking about high level ability in terms of maybe academics. It's maybe not that it could be sport. It could be, it could be, Verbalization. It could be acting. It could be drama. It could be, you know, it could be some. It could be some musicianship or, or or something like that. And they're very very talented in that area. But because you know we may be focusing so much on their academic or their lack of their SEN issue, you're basically just missing all the talent that that person may have, all the creative talent they may have, which is which is not being. Will not will not be harnessed. The third type is probably you know is where you have high level 
potential unrecognized and SEN unrecognized. And, and, and each aspect marks, this is the group probably at greatest risk of underachievement because then there's no sort of recognition at all that, that this individual has, 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 has talent. And then the last one is probably the one that's, that's, that, that's, that, that contrastly is, is, is probably getting the best support because they have high level potential recognized and their SEN is recognized. So if you've somebody who falls into that type four category, then it's pretty happy days for you. And, and in terms of your, your future prospects. So interesting is I, lots of them I got caught, but interesting. I was just listening to you saying type three and type three made me think of ADHD. The child who's mucking around a bit, not doing that, not actually doing their work. So you're not actually seeing what they're capable of. You also just think they, so you're not realizing actually they can't, they don't know how to concentrate. They don't know how to focus. They, they're struggling in all these areas. And, and almost like you then recognize the send and then that high level, the high learning potential would appear. That's what, that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this was my dilemma, if you like, or my struggle about whether or not, you know, we needed this term at all. Whereas, as you said, that that's a pretty good descriptor of, of another term that we're pretty familiar with. And to a certain extent, you know, I think, you know, we, we're always, but we are always learning and evolving and in SEN and we will, you know, it's right for us to sort of like question whether certain terms are, you know, are, are not so much correct. And, and it's right for certain terms that are established to be questioned, if that makes sense, really. I suppose if you're a really busy, I mean, when I have been speaking to particularly to Senkos and, you know, have you heard or come across DME? They do roll their eyes at me because, of course, you know, the issue is, is that they've got, we've talked about the A to Z of SEN, they've got a lot on their plate. But the bottom line is, is that parents will pick up on this, you know, and, and so even if schools aren't necessarily rushing to buy the books or rushing to sort of to look at the data or the research on, on, on this issue, and 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 in terms of what I've seen, that the, the the estimates are that five five to ten percent of children identified as having high ability also have a special need, and two to five percent of children identified as special educational disabilities have a high learning potential. So, you know, this this equates around about to sort of sixty five thousand pupils in in England. That's the estimates from the research I've read. But the bottom line is is that as you can probably understand, parents are going to not not they're not going to they're going to quite like their child being called exceptional definitely so type two that made me think of and i often go quite extreme with things but that made me think of things like locked in so we'd see like eye gaze Mm. that actually we judge a person by what they are able to put out into the world yeah so non-verbal children they can't say anything they must be thick yeah, people make those assumptions. And actually, when we finally get a technology they can access, we actually realize there is a person inside there with lots of ideas who's really been paying attention for the last however many years, lots of things, but just haven't been able to share it. And to me, when I see things like that, and I stuff like eye gaze, there was a definite thing where people thought the physical level and the cognitive level were the same. Mm. And they realized actually with stuff through eye gaze and all those things where they're able to actually with eyes and see that and communicate with communicate and do all this stuff actually realize actually there could be a very big difference in terms of that learning potential and their physical absolutely i mean and again you know we so in when when dyslexia first 
came out. You know, it was a term that, as we know, we were very skeptical about. You know, they used to, you know, on the history of dyslexia, which had to had to battle for where it is now. It was a initially, you know, seen as a middle class syndrome, wasn't it? That was the papers reported it to be that, and it was it was a term that was made up by the middle classes in order to justify why Jemima and Jeremy weren't doing well at school. Well, what happened was was that it, this was driven by parents because parents obviously had the main motivation to do this, but they had some very bright children, but they weren't they weren't registering that because they couldn't access what was going on with 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 around them academically but they were very good at other things and, and it was not to say that everyone with dyslexia is very creative and very artistic we we know that's not the case but we also know that 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 is also true which which basically goes back to your point about judging people on one level and then thinking that they're no good at anything else which is really what we're talking about and and as you say you know that that assumption that because you and if people feel they're being judged that way they're not good at stuff they're very unlikely to want to express themselves in in the ways in which they can and which they're they're very good at and putting it simply in the old days i used to say that if we go back to this lexia again i used to say that it, it seems like they 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 their point distribution is is very different. So if if you know they've only got five out of ten when it comes to reading, but they do seem to have nine out of ten when it comes to verbalization or or, or to being you know or to their art skills. It just seems the point distribution is is very not well distributed in in particularly in type two. Yes, and I think when you think of type two, we also think of people like Aaron Smith. Yep, who yep. he yep. he refers to himself as severely dyslexic. And he obviously, I don't think he was supporting schools. He, he, no one probably believed in him. But where he is now is phenomenal. Nothing gets in his way. He just gets on with it. And the other one is Ali Knowles, yeah. who's, again, another guest on the podcast. She is dyslexic. And again, she didn't have a great start to life with all of this. They are both amazing people. They, their SEN, their dyslexia was recognised, but they just got written off. Yeah, I mean, again, and we, how, you know, we, do we know that the, the power of, of self-esteem and confidence or or lack of self-esteem and lack of confidence what what that can impact on in terms of your 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 future prospects you know and if you're being told off all the time or being told you can't do after a while i mean this is where we start people saying well if i can't do that i'm not going to try anymore and then you start saying well i'm going to be if i'm being judged for being this i'm going to be I'm gonna I'm gonna be the best that I can be at being the worst I can be, or, or or you find some other complete direction in which you go in. So yeah, I think it, it's time for us to to you know even if you don't like the term, uh, or you don't you know certainly something that we need a new term. It's just it's just time for us to 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 take a look at maybe some situations and some people slightly differently. And if in in my view, if it can help one person, you know, to be to be, you know, to 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 to, to get a, to to get some support where they might not have done because they didn't quite hit the criteria, whichever criteria that was to be judged exceptional, in in ends of the spectrum. Then then it, then then it, then it's worthwhile. Definitely. Now, type four, high learning potential, recognised and send recognised. When I think of that, what I think of is I've got a nephew who he's on the spectrum, very intelligent. Yeah, really does amazingly well, but struggles with social, struggles with emotions, struggles with germs, cannot cope in a mainstream setting. So he has high learning potential. 
His SEND is recognised. Great. There's nowhere for him though. Yeah, and and this is the this goes back to the you know the the Ken Robinson you know schools are into compliance, whereas business industry they they like difference. And uh, I suppose if you were to say a person that would fulfil type four, you're talking of your Richard Bransons, aren't you? Really, someone who struggled at school but probably had the support to get through, and now as an adult we know is dyslexic, advocates for dyslexia, but he's 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 you know he's pretty high level in you know in terms of his potential. And, and so I think, you know, the issue is, as you say, is, is when you even when you recognise it, where, you know, where do you go now? Is, you know, inclusive schools, mainstream schools are there, obviously, and they are adapting in, in many ways towards individuals. I think that what they could do in, in one sense is go back to this point about not judging people based on their age, but based on their stage. I mean, my, in, in my, you know, in my mind, it, 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 we know that people with SEN terms tend to get on socially better with younger and older because they have developmental differences. So maybe there's some ways of organising that different within you know, the mainstream school system by which there may be some classes that a 14-year-old goes to which are, you know, in a, there are 16 because they're doing work or there might be some when they're 12, you know, that's just one. But then, you know, maybe some specialized schools are more equipped towards that. And, you know, the, one of the organizations that I'm, that I'm um, involved with on the council are the Crested um, schools, which is the council of schools that are registered for teaching of young people with, with dyslexia. Now the issue about that is of course, is that dyslexia was, was the first term that was popularly popularized if you like for schools to recognize whereas we know now it's only a part of a myriad of other terms and so that those are some schools for example that are accredited and that means people are going in there and actually seeing that they're saying what they're doing because just because a school has a whole list of things that they say they cover doesn't necessarily mean they are i was ahead of a school and you get a form coming out from I don't know, something like special schools, and they just ask, ask you to tick the boxes that you covered. But no one checked whether or not you did them or not. At least with the crested schools, I say at least with, they are accredited, they are judged, they are they're inspected to make sure they do what they do. So I'm, you know, and, and it might sound biased, but I'm obviously a fan of, of specialist schools as well. And, and the reason being often is that, you know, you've got a whole school approach towards this issue versus a traditional school, which is there for all different types of learners where you'll have pockets of, of, of great practice, but maybe you don't get that fully, that full comprehensive, you know, service throughout. I think, I think type two and type four, once you have that send recognized, that is the deciding factor, but then it's almost like there is no learning potential. Once you have SEND, there is no learning. That is just seen to be decided. And lot, I know there are lots of places out there which do functional skills. We do an English and math GCSE but it's kind of, there needs to be more of, they can't cope in mainstream, but they are academically able to achieve everything that everyone else in that mainstream can do. There is a hole there, which I think number four, which is hopefully highlighting it, actually needs provision out there to support those pupils. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, we know that, you know, some people are just find it hard to sit and read and write. And those, and therefore, are judged as being, you know, naughty or lazy. Or, but if they're out there actively doing something physically with their hands, and we're not saying that all people who, have, who have, you know, will, will be plumbers or will be 
who will be carpenters or, or you know, will be. But there is no doubt sometimes that, you know, this, the, the, maybe our curriculum is too narrow in certain places and, and, it, and it's not there. It's not there to, to fulfill and, and to support the potential other people have. So, you know, there is an argument sometimes maybe for looking at a, you know, the, a more vocational route, if that would be one way people might describe it, or a more, you know, you could also describe it as a, as a more effective learning skills program. You know, so that, you know, would be something for us to maybe, I know we're doing this now to some extent, but maybe it's something we can look at, you know, to, to a much greater, you know, greater level. So I've left type one to the end. And the reason for that is I think this is probably the most common. So the high learning potential is recognized, but the SEND is unrecognized. And I know there are lots of adults now being diagnosed with autism. There are lots of people going to universities being diagnosed with autism or dyslexia or ADHD at university. So they obviously have a high learning potential because they're at university or you get people high up in their careers or their doctors or they're doing their PhD and they get diagnosed. So the high learning potential is there and it is kind of masked that SEND need. And sometimes it is dyslexia and someone recognises they're struggling with the work, but sometimes it is in the SEMH world, isn't it? Very much so. I, I, I you know, we were, it, it's where it fits sometimes, as you say. And, and in terms of getting a, a, a diagnosis is where it fits. And I suppose what you tend to do is you tend to sort of recognise the people who act out, you know, who are the, who extrovertly talk about, show their frustrations versus the ones who don't you know the the one the overt tends to tends to trump the covert so to speak but i think if you were to say that if there was one of the the main four areas that was probably most likely to be displayed it would almost certainly be in in the SEMH one yeah and this is a shame because again you know we we know that what we've said before is that i mean these are maskers you know, they, they, these are these are major maskers, really. And, like, and as you said, other terms of masking too, which is, goes back to this issue again about you know, does this muddy the waters, or does, or, or does does it does it does it make the waters crisp? You know, you know, make make them clearer. I, I like the fact with this whole thing, there is we are taking, and if you think of the four broad areas of need, the high learning potential to me is the cognition and learning, and then we've got communication, interaction, SEMH, and sensory physical over here, and what. I think we all do is we use one to decide others. If cognition and learning is here, then the other three are here. Yeah. If, co- if these three, one of these three are down here, then everything else must be down here. And what this whole thing is going, they don't have to be, they really can be all over the place. And that's fine. Which is why I go back to this. When you, when you take the word exceptional, you tend to think of it, you know, it well, depending on your point of view, I suppose you think of it maybe as a negative or as a positive and, 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 but in in this this sense, what we're basically saying is, it is you're talking about people who fit both ends of the bell curve, yeah. And because of that, you know that that exceptionality is something that we need to recognise, need support, and and we need. I think, in my view, what we what we do need is just to have a much clearer vision and an attitude towards people, as you say, who are regarded as not being able to, as as well as. Being, I know we talk about it and we say this, but I'm not really sure it's actually there in practice. No, 
And the reason I also the reason I left um, type one to the end is because type one is me. Type one is me. I went on a gifted and talented course for geography. Mm. I've assumed I was because I was just so good at it. And now I'm going, was it because they recognized? Oh, and that's the whole thing. But to me, I went on this course because I was a child who finished all their work with the least effort. Yeah. So effort, low, attainment, high. I coasted through the whole of my primary school and secondary school, putting minimal effort in it. Even if I do exams now for Microsoft, I do them with my colleague, John, hour and a half exam. I'm getting up after half an hour because I have finished and I have passed. My colleague, John, it infuriates him. He gets out 20, 15 minutes before the end and he passes or, or close, but he, we do the similar level, but I am done in 20 minutes, half an hour of that exam, because I either know it or I don't, and I just go through it. On the flip side, I got diagnosed with autism and ADHD at the beginning of this year, because my rec- it wasn't recognised. But as I've gone through my childhood school reports and I've looked through it all, it was all there. You can see it, but it was in the 90s. So the idea of this just wasn't, you had to be more extreme. You had to be more impacted for it to be registered, but you can kind of see actually the autism and the ADHD was there all along. As we know, Dale, we've discussed this on a, on a previous podcast and your journey to this area, which is of, which as you know, after a few years of me knowing you is, was, was, was no, was no great surprise, but yeah, you are, you are a great example of, of type one in so much as look at what you've achieved in terms of the business, in terms of the, you know, the inspirational sort of like direction in which you've taken, you know, this particular area of SEN and, and all the other products and you, you've done, you've been enormously successful at the same time you've, you know, you, you, you have struggled as, as we know, with many aspects of, of learning and behavior and interaction all of your life. And yet, you know, your motivation to do this, despite the, the, the sort of like the knockbacks that you w- will have achieved and, and, and you've adapted massively. And I, I use the analogy, as you know, I've met before of, you know, everyone else who's got traditional learners were, was, if they were swimming 20 lengths a day, you know, those people have been swimming 20 lengths in water. You were swimming 20 lengths in treacle and every effort you were putting in to do what other people found easily took twice as much out of you. So your journey is, 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 as, as, is, a, has been a very interesting one and your realization of, of, of why those strokes were so, fo- so hard for you is, is probably a lot more clearer. I think you just assume everyone else is just swimming through treacle, but they've got a way which is just easier for them. And you just, that's the thing, all my life I saw people are in the head are the same as me. They way approach things. I was just really good at this, but I struggled at that because I, I didn't get something. I must have missed something out. Not that actually it's not my fault, but I still have to work on it. But I do mask a lot. I do hide things. What was interesting, as I've said before, is a number of people where I said I got done, they went, what, this is? I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me? So loads of people, it was quite obvious, but no one told me. So that's the thing with this type one, there are children at my daughter's school I recognize as type one because no one said the autism word. They're in set one. You literally look at them and going, I bet you they struggle. So you kind of just, certain children, when you know a few bits out, you're going, but how do you bring this up? As a, as a parent of another child, with that, it's really hard. So you kind of, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. But I reckon there are lots of children who fit in that type one who 
survive through secondary school and survive through college. They may get diagnosed at university or they may struggle through a very lonely university life and may get diagnosed later on or may not. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we're sort of like, I suppose to to just kind of put this in some perspective, when you, people are at different thresholds and we know in order to get a diagnosis for ADHD or for, you know, for ASC or for dyslexia for that matter, you need to be at a at particular threshold by which the characteristics are not so much mild to moderate, they are more moderate to severe. And we know that 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 varies in terms of the assessments you have, the longer one we had. But generally speaking, you're not tend to be diagnosed if you're mild to moderate. You tend to get diagnosed for something when you're moderate to severe. Now, there will be some people for whom they are in this mild to moderate sort of category. And therefore, because they're not moderate to severe, so to speak, they're not being recognized. And we've also said before, what really frustrates me is that you don't need a diagnosis to give someone support which is suitable for them. So I suppose if there's one way of really nailing why this is a territory or term we need to be looking at, it's for those mild to moderate characteristics, which are being masked, if you like, by the high potential. And therefore, that means that that potential, if you like, is being curtailed. And it might not always be curtailed academically, but it will be definitely curtailed socially. And you might have a child in your class who is an amazing reader. He loves reading, really amazing stories. He is absolute pleasure. But you just see him at playtime, he just likes reading. Yeah. Does he just like reading or is it that's where he's comfortable because he's not comfortable on the social side? So is that kind of a really small hint that actually he's struggling somewhere? But the fact you his what his reading and writing ability is that you're pushing is kind of meaning you're not supporting him in those areas. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, we, there's a lot of people who we can say, look, oh, it didn't fit the criteria or they fell through the net or it wasn't that severe enough. So that's a good example of that. I, I've got a friend who's got a daughter who got a, got a, a very good first at university and she went through school, very personable, obviously, you know, had some traits. And when you look back now, you say, yes, of course. But this is a girl who went to university who who really didn't go out much because, for example, what, what happened at university was, this was a girl who did well in her A-levels, but at university, they gave you a reading list. Now, I don't know, but you, Dale, myself, when someone gave me the reading list at university, say there was 25 books on there, I probably read one and a half and maybe two at best, and I copied notes of people who were the year above or something. You know, I'm sorry if I'm giving my secrets here away. But but what did this girl do? Because I gave her a reading list about 25 books, she read every single book, every single word in every single book. You know why? Because someone gave her a reading list, and if they didn't want you to do all of that all of that stuff on there. Why did they give you 25 books? Why didn't they give you two books? She followed it to, you know, the extreme. Now, to a certain extent, that's not somebody who, you know, and socially wise, she wasn't going out and doing all the other things other people did. And she had a, you know, on one hand, she would appear to have had a miserable time at university. But on the other hand, she, you know, not being recognized for some of the issues she had, she, probably didn't see it quite like that, you know. But so what we're doing is we are just trying to make sure that we just make sure we look at, in every case, the whole child. And if they don't, if they're not 
at the threshold that gets them the assessment or gets them the term. We just need to do a better job at supporting them when they're younger to, to basically help them make that transition in the future. I think you use that term mild, moderate to extreme in terms of like autism and things like that. What I think of it is it's how much impacts you. And I think when you're younger, there's a lot of support from your parents. So at primary school, there's a lot of support there. As you move up into secondary, you're supposed to be more independent. And there's why another load of diagnosis come through because they struggle with that independence. Then you go to university and you're even more independent. So that's another. But I think it's you kind of get your diagnosis to me when you're either struggling with something, when it's become a big barrier. So either you've got relationship issues as you're older or work issues, and it's kind of when it starts impacting you, when it's really hitting that point, that's when you get the diagnosis. And what you're saying is if we kind of can recognise it at that low level through primary, through secondary, and just put some strategies in, we're not saying they're not autistic. But what we're saying is it's supported all the way through. So they don't get to this point where they're struggling. So they don't read 25 books. They they, they learn to ask, hang on, these are a lot of books. Am I reading all of them? Correct. Correct. You, just, you give them some strategies which Correct. help them understand that the world isn't as literal as they believe. Absolutely. I mean, that is absolutely the, the, the most the, the salient point. And because we do tend to get, you know, we, we you know, we, we don't have unlimited time. We don't have unlimited resources. And and to be honest with you, the ones that make the noise tend to get the the, the, the thing. And we know that there's other elements of other terms, which, you know, are masked too. And I think, but it is about, as you say, giving someone the opportunity to ask those questions and to prepare them when when they're not getting the same level of 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 support or infrastructure as we do because as i said you know the consequences of that can can be quite can be quite i wouldn't say damaging but you know that that it's not basically helping them to be independent if you like really and and that point about asking that thing about 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 do we have to read every single book is 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 a question that almost just did not occur to her because you know she she assumed you know that this, this was what they they do. I mean, the other thing is go back to this issue of schools being, you know, geared towards. I've said it a few times before. It's not my term. The you know compliance versus what we do need to be looking for is difference and innovation and people who are different and 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 acknowledging that to an extent by which we can support them both in the positives and negatives. And I'm sorry, I, I might have told a story before, but I, I love the story that Ken Robinson says about how he visited a school and he met a nine-year-old girl. And the nine-year-old girl was exceptional and very good at maths. And she finished all her maths within sort of half an hour or something of the lesson. And then the teacher said, she said, what do I do now? And the teacher gave, said, oh, can you do the two other pages? And, she said, and the girl looked at her and said, well, this is exactly the same as as what I've done before. Why are you punishing me by giving me more of the same when I can do these quickly? So she apparently she went into a bit of a huff and she went into a corner and she had a bit of an argument with the teacher. And then he was walking around the room and he went up to her and he said, are you okay? And she said, what are you doing? He says, he says oh, he says, you're drawing a picture. 
Oh, why aren't you doing maths? Well, I've done my maths. You keep giving me more of the same maths and I can do this. Why am I being punished for doing this? And so he said to her, well, he said, what are you drawing a picture of? Is a nine-year-old girl. She said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. He said, but, um, he said, he said, but, but no one knows what God looks like. And she said, they will in a moment. You know, and that just make, makes me smile because I think we've got people like that in our, in our school environment. And, and what we need to be doing is, is recognising that what they're good at and, and not giving them the same, same stuff because that is they would see as being penalised. It's, it's interesting. I, that girl sounds a bit like me. I was probably, and I apologise to all my teachers from my childhood, I got called arrogant by one and that didn't go well for them either. Um, but only because I didn't know what the word meant. And I probably dealt with it in a very arrogant way, which I now look back and understand, which I've told that story before. But it is, you don't know what you don't know as a child. You're trusting these adults. And if you go through all my reports, my attainment, high effort, zero. And I'm going, but I remember saying to a teacher, I did everything you asked. And she went, well, you should have done more. And I'm going, sorry, that never made sense to me. And I didn't go to university because I looked at my syllabus. I was going to do computing, if I fancy that. And I looked at the syllabus. I went, hang on, that's my, my half of this is my A-level. I've got to repeat the same year. And the last year and a half were pretty easy because I'm into computing. So it just looked like a complete waste of time for me. And it wasn't being, and I just, I spent my most of my secondary school and college not being pushed. I remember mm, mm. just, it's, you know, I referred to in Good Will Hunting, Matt Damon's character. I, that resonated with me so much. And at times I was literally, it was just, if I was interested, I would learn it to the nth degree. If I didn't see the point, I would argue, what is the point? And it's the same as that nine-year-old girl why am I doing more? I've done a whole sheet of it. This is really easy. I want more. I want to be pushed more. But then that's the thing is I get for teachers, in hindsight, as an older person, you're already doing a lot of differentiation and scaffolding and so on. It's going to be really hard to stretch this person. But in reality, what I probably needed is not actually stretching with my maths. It's the other areas that I actually struggled with the socialising things that actually that's where I needed the support. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, two things occur to me now. One, one is that, you know, we, what we used to do with gifted and in the gifted co- cohorts, we didn't put them based on their age. We put them based on their stage. And so you did have groups of usually it was either events that kids went to sometimes socially to museums or, or places or, or and they had clubs at break time and lunchtime. And the one central point was they weren't all at the same age. It was at people that different ages but grouping together so there is there is no doubt that that is a factor that that we need to do and i think you know the the, the key thing is is that we we know how much time do you have in the day you know how much time you know as you say do you have in order to to do that i mean and 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 what you just really resonated with me was was when you said about people seeing you arrogant we do come across people who we do think well you know he's arrogant or or you know he's full of himself or he's just stubborn you know and there's a got to be why are people arrogant why are they stubborn you know what are we what have we got to be we can't just be saying oh you know they're stubborn. why are they displaying that particular reaction we've got to be questioning that i mean i i 
I had a student who was, now I look back on it, he was really bright, you know, and parents were bright. And I look back again, you sort of think, oh, that's probably why. In fact, his dad, I think, was was in, in media and films. This was some years ago now. So obviously there was some creative genes. But this lad was, he was very bright, pretty compliant in class, but would not do homework, just would not do it. We talked about it. We tried all our positive reinforcement. We tried our negative. He could do it. He just wouldn't do it because as far as he was concerned, when he was school, he would work in school, but school was school and home was home. So giving him homework, he decided not doing it. And so I remember one morning, I um, used to come to school, he'd get dropped off quite early in the morning. And one day he, it was raining out, they way outside. I let him in early. So he's there he's got his books out and he's doing, he's doing what essentially was homework. I said, oh, well, um, are you doing your homework? He says, no, I'm doing work. <laughs> and, you know, and, and for him, he just could not dissociate the school from home. He would do it, but he wouldn't do it at home. And, and so calling it homework was a no-no. So in the compromise was that we were, you know, he, we used to give him extension tasks or, or something of that ilk. And, and I think what used to happen was because he got dropped off early in order to, we had a system obviously of, you know, of can't you have to do this or do that. The compromise was that he, he would do it during the day you know, maybe early in the morning or maybe at lunchtime or maybe he'd finish it before he went home. Stubborn? Yes. Did we need to adapt to this? Yes. Did our systems, you know, the carrot and stick work to this? Didn't work. You got to try something different. Bottom line, you got to flip it up sometimes. You got to flip it and try something different. I've never done homework for that exact reason. Mm. School is school. Home is home. Why am I doing this? Because I said so, because it's a rule. That's not a reason. That is, yeah, if I'm into something and I will learn it, I will learn. Yeah, I will spend an entire evening learning. But doing something because, is that the only, because I said so, the only reason I'm not going to do it. And that was my life all the way through school because most stuff I'm learning, it it wasn't learning because I wanted to, it's learning because that's what we were told. And I'm also, for me, if I'm doing something on my own, Generally, this was before the internet, before you can actually do your own research. If I'm just writing this out, I'm not really learning in my head. Yeah. To me, learn requires input from something external. So if I've got a, a math sheet, which we've already done in class, I'm practicing, I'm not learning, I'm just repeating. Same as that nine year old. So things like that, I see homework in that very similar way, and it just seemed completely irrelevant. Yeah, and again, it's classic, isn't it? Classic case of you know of us discussing this at this point, and you describing you know how you reacted, and as you say, you you some of your teachers will have you know they will have a lot of grey hairs as a result of yep. of, of working with you, but then you'll have other teachers, which is another topic we're going to be discussing at some point. You know who will have who will have um, loved teaching you because they will have seen something different in you and will have enjoyed it. At the same time, you will have had some teachers who will 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 have not not enjoyed that that experience and and will have tried to fit what is a a square peg into a round hole or a round hole into a square peg, whichever way you want to do it. It doesn't work for everybody, as we know. Um, 
But yet what we do tend to do is, is if something's not working and we have a system, we just tend to sort of like carry on doing the same thing and, and you end up spinning your wheels. And as I said, in, in all of these areas that we discuss on the Sendcast, I think what we're always doing is, you know, we know that I'm sure that a lot of what we say is probably confirming things that you know. It's probably confirming things that you do. It might help if, you know, in some ways think, oh, well, if that's, we're doing this and we're doing this, that that's the sort of the right, ter- right kind of thing. So that's great. But what we're trying to do in all these things, I believe, and I think this is what training or Sendcast, we're also trying to spark you. We're trying to spark you maybe to think about things a bit differently and maybe to do things differently. And, you know, and if that happens and it, and that, you know, that, that it catches, it catches a flame, then, then on your own. Definitely. And my daughter, my youngest, she, her homework is a bit like me, but she has this fear, which I never had. I, I never had a fear of getting in trouble. It meant nothing to me, which really probably didn't help me being at school either. My daughter has a fear of getting in trouble. So she will suddenly wake up at five o'clock in the morning and realize she hasn't done her homework for that day. And she will either rush it through that morning or she will do it in break time or lunchtime. Yeah. She's not putting her best in. She's doing it purely to not get in trouble. So, which again, many years ago, we did the homework risk or return. Mm. To me, mm. that was a really mm. thing of going, actually, is the homework the right thing? There's loads of questions, but it is how you may perceive homework, how you perceived it as a child, and how the children in front of you perceive it can be very different. Yeah, we did. We we have drip. We did do that one, didn't we? And I think just for those of you who haven't heard it, I think the the, the it, it was it was an interesting debate to or yeah. discussion on that area. And it is interesting if you didn't hear the, the the parental point of view. Half the parents I work with wanted more homework. Half of them wanted less homework because of the stress, as you said, that it did put on individuals like your daughter and like yourself. So I think it, it is something that you have to be considering as part of the whole educational process about you know not just what someone does how much they do and sometimes where they do it definitely definitely right thank you for coming on the show today Finton really enjoyed it and I think it is an area that I think people use the ability to decide if someone has SEN and I think this is really drawing about that actually that is completely unrelated uh, absolutely, and, and just um, we Dale will mention we have a, a number of resources that we will do. But what I would um, just highlight is a is an organisation called Potential Plus UK. They're a really really good organisation that has a great deal of information on on DME, L- lots of tips, lots of explanations for what the term is and 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 how to sort of like not just to support it, but to assess it. And they're well worth, and there's, and there's, a, there's some really, really good resources there and fact sheets that I would definitely recommend that, that you um, that you consider. Definitely. So yeah, as Finton said, they'll be on the show notes. I've just seen those. Both links are definitely there. And you'll find the show notes wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. Thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed, click on that subscribe button wherever you're listening. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter at The Sendcast, Facebook The Sendcast, on Instagram The Sendcast keeping it very, very simple. And as always, I always get to mention B squared at the end, because if you're struggling to show progress, we can help. And as we're talking about dual and multiple exceptionality, we can do spiky profiles. We can assess the social side as well as the academic. There's lots in there. And yeah, 
don't just think academic means no SEN. It's completely unrelated in some situations. So if you're a school in England, still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else, please get in contact. You can also find out about our online training, read our blog, watch our webinars. It's all on the B-squared website. And you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me so I can take you through our software in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from him. Thank you. And goodbye from you, Dale. (laughs) 